This is Dion Blumenrader with Big Hoss One Sauce, and you're listening to the best show on all things barbecue with my man, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me! Fine, how's it going? You have a great show, I'm a big fan. Boing. So what 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 seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono! It's all about the Charbono, dude! Succulent fish! What? He ate two feet wiener. So listen, Lavernius, shut your face. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. Welcome back. Uh, this is the Barbecue Central Show, and we are in the second hour. It's a show that talks about barbecue and grilling items from time to time. We get outside the box and talk about fast food trends. Heaven forbid that you are now just coming across the show and you missed the first hour. First of all, you missed a classic conversation with Travis Clark, one of the best competition barbecuers out there currently and, uh, I will say, ever to light a fire. He won the Jack Daniels World Barbecue Championship this past weekend. He has auto-qualified for the Jack Daniels five years in a row. This was the year that he won it. I don't think there's uh, any other team that has auto-qualified five years in a row. So that's a huge deal all on its own. He's also opening a restaurant that they're shooting in that three, four, five weeks. I mean, certainly I want to get down on when does that really happen because we all heard Dr. Barbecue's trials and tribulations with getting that open, and we all heard how expensive Michael Simon's barbecue restaurant in Cleveland was here on the show to get to open. So three weeks could mean three weeks. Three weeks could mean three months. We love to bet on things here on this show. But we'll let it slide. Hopefully, it's three weeks. It sounds like it's really close, and it sounds like it's really big and really awesome. So hopefully, I will find my way out to Oklahoma City, which I've heard is a fabulous city. My brother loves Oklahoma City, and we'll eat some of Travis's barbecue and uh, meet him in person, actually, for the first time. So that'd be fun to do on a number of different levels. Maybe do a recording out there as well. Why not? Then... We talked with Craig Barr, who is currently and successfully taking Popeye's chicken to court. That case is going to trial, by the way. And while I could easily take the next uh, seven and a half or 30 minutes to unpack what Craig was laying down last segment, I thought we were... On a path of working through the Popeye stuff. Wanted to build a little background, get a little buy-in from the audience. I didn't want to just put them on and 
immediately start grilling him about this Popeye stuff. Come to find out, he's a Tower One World Trade Center survivor. He is now in Chattanooga. He's a filmmaker. He's looking to shoot a film. And when I said, give me some idea what it's about, something happened. A switch flipped, and he went into what sounded like a monologue of the whole catch of the film. Uh, and maybe it was. And he he has got it so memorized, and it's just so part of his psyche now. If somebody says, hey, what's the movie about? Boom, he goes right into character, and, and away he goes. Because for that two-minute stretch, he was a whole different person. Then he came out of it. We talked about Popeye's things that were notable in that conversation uh, were I, uh, I was unclear whether it's a joke lawsuit or if he was serious, if it's a cash grab or if it's not, if he just wanted repair for the vehicle, but it sounds like he doesn't. And then at the end, what I can truly put my fingers into was some time of substance while the release of the new Popeye's chicken sandwich is coming out on Sunday. He has a additional plan of attack that he is going to launch in a similar time fashion that is really going to shake the foundations of this whole suit between Craig Barr and Popeye's chick. And I hope Craig, if you're listening, I hope I've made it poignantly clear that while there may be other bigger, more broadcasty style networks, uh, this is going to be the only show where you're going to be able to come on and have forum and be able to use any words that you want. You would have been either dumped or kicked off of any other radio interview because you swore. Uh, you probably know it's internet radio and there's no FCC regulation, but you don't want to go on radio. You want to be who you are. If a fucker or shit comes out, I want that to be organic. I don't want you to have to be guarded. I think you felt pretty comfortable and you were just kind of running with it. Somehow we were talking about the earth. I think there was a mention of something around 900 miles per hour. At one point we were scooting around 17 or 1600 miles an hour. There was negativity. There was positivity. I think uh, Carabas doesn't make a really good pasta sauce. People are busy. The food isn't great. How does Popeye's run out of chicken when it's all being made at a factory and being distributed? Many points being made in that segment. Wow. So if you missed it, you have to go back starting tomorrow as the podcast is released into the feed. First hour tomorrow and second hour on Thursday. By the way, coming up here. And the remainder of the show, Emily Detweiler from KCBS will be joining me in about seven minutes. And Derek Riches from DerekRiches.com will be closing out the show 35 past. Don't forget, you can follow me socially at BBQ Central Show on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, Facebook. Uh, technically, it's slash Facebook or slash BBQ Central Show on Facebook. Coming up. This week on the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less, episode 96, October 29th, 2013 is where we visit. And there's lots of Thanksgiving talk in this episode. Meathead from AmazingRibs.com is there talking turkey. 
And if that isn't enough, Stephen Reichlin, Barbecue Central Show guest Hall of Famer and Barbecue Hall of Famer are both in. Again, he's talking more turkey, also some uh, apples and Thanksgiving generalities talk as well. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. All right, so let me lead off with this. Because it's probably all I'm going to get to. If you listen to the show last week, you heard my Texas Embedded correspondent float out that Johnny Trigg might not have cooked the WFC-IBCA portion of the contest and that J.D. Henley from Buckshot Barbecue was the one that actually did the cooking. At that time, I didn't realize that Smoking Triggers had won the IBCA portion of that whole World Food Championships contest. And once I learned that, a number of questions surfaced, and I started to really dig in and see if I could get some confirmation on who the actual cook for that team was. Touched a number of teams and other insiders, all confirming that they were hearing similar rumor, but no one was able to give me a 100% confirmation one way or the other. So this past Sunday, I reached out myself to J.D. Henley for clarification. Also, probably around the same time, my Texas Embedded correspondent, Doug Scheiding, had also reached out to J.D. And Monday afternoon, we got the following statement, if you will, from J.D. Uh, and I'm just paraphrasing because I had uh, talked to Doug on the phone. So it's not a written quote, but I'm paraphrasing. I helped Johnny Cook the, that portion of the World Food Championships. And this is the most important part. It was not... Andrew, you are not the <laughs> It was not a secret... It was not being kept on the down low as it was rumored. And he was there the entire time, that being J.D. J.D. did not show up under the cover of darkness like late Thursday, as was also rumored. He was there from the beginning all the way through until the end. He was there to help Johnny. There were, uh, I guess they, they were both cooking together. Uh, This is not, and again, I would like to state this is not an instance where uh, somebody is passing off somebody else's work and getting the win and the glory. And prior to getting that statement, I talked to some other sources who had seen J.D. and Johnny cooking together at some other events this year as well. So now this seems to fit together, and we can just kind of leave this item alone. But here's what I can tell you. Well, this story winds up being nothing, and it had legs to be a pretty major event. Why? Because you potentially had a Hall of Fame pitmaster who's widely loved and known in the industry, not just by other cooks, but by the general public as well, in a spot where a contest was won and where he wasn't the one doing the cooking. And to me, that's a big deal on many levels. The good news is that it's cleared as nothing more than a misunderstanding. And that's why the show didn't recklessly start posting rumors and theory on social media or make special bonus content podcasts. And I certainly love controversy, but not at the expense of integrity. Here's the other thing I learned all the way through this. While reaching out to many sources, if you didn't know this already, the Godfather is one loved individual. Many people, and I mean many people, have his back. Not only in this instance, but there are many folks out there who are keeping a watchful eye on the smoking triggers when they show up at contests, and not in a bad way, in a very supportive and friendly way, and that is great to see. Johnny is 81, still out there doing it. It's nice to see that other teams are out there supporting someone who has been such a great face for competition barbecue for decades. 
So again, just to be clear, J.D. Henley was in Johnny's camp, all well-known, all disclosed, not a secret. Want to make sure that we are on the forefront of passing out that update to the story that was mentioned last week. There you go. All right, we have Emily Detweiler coming up out of the break. I'll talk to you quickly first about the barbecue guru, always believing that outdoor cooking should be fun because it can be with the Monolith Guru Edition Grill, world's first temperature-controlled smoker with a built-in power draft fan. This means smarter control and greater freedom with automatic temperature-controlled devices. Easily choose your cooking time and temperature. Let the Monolith do the work of a sous chef or a barbecue pitmaster with minimal effort. You now have oven-like precision at the grill, and you can serve the tastiest, juiciest meals each and every time, as I mention each week. If you have a Barbecue Guru controller already and you buy the Monolith, you don't have to get a new controller. Just hook the controller up to the Power Draft fan, and away you go. If you have any questions, you call them, 800-288-GURU. And if you have any questions, or if you want to peruse what they have on the website, bbqguru. Dot com. That's bbqguru.com. The Barbecue Guru continues to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. Wow, we. All right, we're back with the KCBS CEO, Emily Detweiler. Stick around, we'll be right back. Show, giving you a monthly visit from a doctor of barbecue, a man actually named Meathead, the author of a barbecue bible, bloggers, reviewers, competitors, and manufacturers by the dozens. It's the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, welcome back. The Smoke Sheet is a free weekly newsletter that keeps you in the know on everything happening in the barbecue world, including top news, events, recipes, and more. It started with Ryan Cooper and Sean Ludwig, and both of them travel around the country to find the best barbecue and then report on it. You can sign up for the newsletter and see the full events on their barbecue calendar at bbqnewsletter.com. That's bbqnewsletter.com, a great all-in-one weekly resource. Yeah, baby. My first guest of the second hour, the current CEO of the Kansas City Barbecue Society. If you were at the American Royal or most recently the Jack Daniels this past weekend, probably saw her there all day, every day, shaking hands, kissing babies, here to talk about the number of KCBS-related topics that we have on the docket this evening is friend of the show, Emily Detweiler. Hey, Emily. Greg, how are you? I'm absolutely fabulous. Appreciate you joining me this evening. Are you back home finally? I am back home. Yep, just got the kids put to bed, so ready to chop barbecue. All right, so first things first, uh, since we did that great um, exclusive announcement of you taking over the reins as CEO at KCBS, there's been a number of really big or what we would call major competitions that have transpired, (laughs) first of which uh, right in your backyard was the American Royal. So how did you find the 2019 American Royal this year? 
Yeah, absolutely. Just a couple of things going on since uh, we last spoke in August. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, so the American Royal World Series of Barbecue was absolutely fantastic. You know, it's interesting to go from how hot it was at that particular contest to uh, how rainy and cool it was at the Jack this past weekend. So um, different, definitely different of, of weather there, but great experience overall. You know, the Royal is definitely one of my favorite contests every year. It's just so fun to see everybody come together. And, you know, for me, it was a really different perspective this year because based on my past experience, I definitely had seen it more through the lens of the cook teams and the sponsors and the brands. Um, so I certainly still had a chance to do that, but it was really fun to be able to also experience it through the lens of the judges and the reps and all of the volunteers that work just as tirelessly uh, to bring it to life as do the teams. And, you know, even seeing how far some of the judges and the reps come, you know, from across the country and actually from uh, different countries to come, it's, it's just as highly coveted on both sides of the equation. So it was really fun uh, to experience it through that lens. Emily Detweiler joining me here on the show. Um, is Do you think that the American Royal has found a permanent home at the Speedway, or is there still a, a potential of their you know, moving in, in a year or two or something like that? Good question. So based on the, um, based on the meetings that I've had with the Royal, um, with their leadership team, you know, it sounds like they're very interested in staying put. I think they, you know, every year continue to find some different things to fine-tune, but overall feel like uh, the partnership with the Kansas Speedway is a very good one, and that ultimately it's a great environment, particularly for the team. You know, I think each year they try to figure out how to make it a little bit more engaging um, for the consumer public, and we've had some dialogue about what can be done to help with you know, very important issues like uh, ADA and ongoing safety and things like that. But overall, I think the venue uh, works really well. Obviously, always opportunities to fine-tune. And uh, certainly, I've had a chance to pass on some different uh, pieces of feedback that I've received from our membership uh, to the Royal in terms of what can make things a little bit better. But, you know, they announced live um, at awards during the invitation, or I'm sorry, during the open, um, the dates for 2020 will be September 16th through the 20th. So I think that's absolutely fantastic. You know, that was some of the feedback that we had provided to them, gosh, even two years ago, um, was to really try to get ahead of it because mm. it impacts so many people, not just the teams and the judges, but, you know, again, as I'm, I'm really learning all facets of KCBS, I've started to learn just how much it affects other contest organizers and, you know, teams across the country who maybe consistently have their contests on a specific date and it might be tied in with the community festival. So, you know, obviously when you have a contest that is as large and as um, prestigious as the American Royal and also as the Jack, anytime there's changes involved um, to date, that it, it really does have a ripple effect across the country and even across the world for our international teams. You know, when so I was we're excited to know that they've announced when I was doing the show, you know, ten years ago or so, when it was still in the stockyards, I think I might have heard an attendance number that was in the mid sixes. I don't know if that's something that was verifiable or just a hopeful number that people were spitting out there, especially on the dark side of the tracks. There, 
Um, I think we were just sub 500 this year, if I'm not mistaken, in the open. I mean, do you do you see a point in time where it re re reaches? I think that's bad English. Where it achieves a similar <laughs> uh, capacity and you know 550 or 600 or more. Well, you know, I will say the good news is the numbers are trending back up. And I think that we all felt was fantastic news. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we got to 485 for the Open this year. Um, and that was an increase, I believe, from last year. So that's exciting to see some of those numbers coming up. And I do think that um, with the early announcement this year for the 2020 dates, I think we'll see strong numbers yep. there. Um, the other thing I think will be in the favor of the American Royal is that uh, they've moved yet one more weekend beyond Labor Day. So, you know, um, Labor Day is always a tricky one. You you can really talk about both sides of the equation with some people saying, I like it because I already have that Monday off, so I have more time mm. you know, to take off work and go. Um, but for other people, Labor Day might mean that they're doing something different. So, you know, it's like I said, it could be both sides of the equation, but I think that as long as there is such advance notice um, in terms of the date, then I think I think they'll be in good standing for next year. Uh, this past weekend, the Jack takes place. Travis Clark from Clark Crew wins it. I had had him on in the first hour of the show, and you know he did something kind of magical. I mean, obviously he won it, which uh, a lot of people uh, that are in competition barbecue strive to win the Jack and the American Royal or both, if possible, during the course of a competition career. He goes five times in a row on the seven wins auto qualifier. Um, I mean, you've seen Travis for a number of years compete, uh, you know, from a from a different side, but now you're on the uh, membership side of things. I mean, that's a that's quite a feat that I, I don't know if a lot mm-hmm. of people that are um, not following competition barbecue can really wrap their head around how important that is. Yeah, you know, it's really important, and I I'm certainly excited for for Clark Crew and their whole family because especially with the opening of the new restaurant, you know, it's exciting to have that kind of momentum. Um, and honestly, it reminds me of some of the momentum that was uh, really behind Blaine Hunter when he won the American Royal and then parlayed that into opening his new restaurant in Nebraska. So, you know, those are some really good success stories that just make me so proud um, of these competition cooks that are able to to take their successes in the field and turn it into a great opportunity for their livelihood and providing for their family. So really excited for Travis and this, and, you know, obviously he's had some great wins along the way. He really has. Um, but this is definitely one more extremely prestigious world championship win for him to have under his belt. Um, as he's getting ready to open that restaurant. So, you know, really excited for him. It's funny because I saw them pull in uh, when they got there, and I thought to myself, well, gosh, they must have had quite a haul because, you know, they didn't get there as early as some of the other teams. And, you know, again, you just take that into into consideration when you have such a strong competitor who's able to kind of come in, I don't mean to say last minute, but kind of not get there as early as some of the other teams to camp out two or three days in advance. Um, and yet just come in, focus, get it done. Um, you know, so really, really happy for Travis and his family there. And also very excited for Scratch and Dent, um, winning uh, within Shade Tree. So it was great. Now, here's the funny thing of that whole uh, answer that you were just giving us. According to Travis, he showed up Thursday, which was easily a day more in advance than he's ever showed up for the Jack. It's usually like <laughs> Friday night. So he he was like laying out, had all this extra time. And like you're saying, a lot of other teams are there, you know, two and three days in advance. So uh, for him, it was yeah. like a vacation, I guess. 
Well, then, good. I'm glad he was feeling extra relaxed. But, yeah, no, I talked to some teams who said they pulled in as early as, you know, Tuesday night or Wednesday. So, um, you know, it is kind of funny uh, that Wednesday has really become the new Thursday for contests. But, you know, the Jack is also, it's just so special. It's kind of one of those contests that you either love it or you kind of love it. (laughs) But, um, you know, I think really for the most part, it just means history and it means something special um and so even if there's some little quirks and things like that and obviously when it rains it's kind of not so fun to walk around in the uh, puddles and all of that but you know i think it's just it's such an interesting event and there's just so many special things that are done differently there you know even from the seven entry turn-ins um to help represent the the number seven brand for jack and Mm -hmm things like that. Um, You know, I had a chance to really spend a lot of time on Saturday in the judging area and really had a chance to dive right in and and volunteer and kind of shadow as a table captain with some great uh, table captains, um, judges from uh, from KCBS. And just to see the passion that's in there is unbelievable. You know, I saw that at the American Royal as well. And it really is, I, I think, the story that goes untold, and that's just how hard these volunteers and these uh, judges and reps work as well as the, the cook team. So, you know, we actually did a little um, a fun little kind of back of a napkin analysis for the Jack. And by the time you, you count Marge's Mafia, Marge Plummer, and all of the... Um, you know, the contest rep hours and the volunteer hours and the judges, we we figure that over the last 31 years, there's probably a minimum of 210,000 volunteer hours. Wow. So, you know, that's, that's pretty significant. And the people that do this do it because they love it. Just like the teams, you know, it means so much to either make it in auto-invite or... Um, you know, to have your bum drawn. It just means so much to come to that contest. So it was really interesting and fun to be there in that regard. And I certainly enjoyed, I got to help, um, Arena's powers and the crew hand out the, uh, the hickory nuts. And that was just so special, you know, for the tradition that that, that that means to uh, the team. So really fun. Emily Detweiler joining us here on the show, CEO KCBS the website, by the way, KCBS.us. Um, Emily, as you are, kind of getting into uh, day-to-day ops there. Um, are you seeing any new visions for the KCBS that perhaps you didn't initially think about or that have just kind of uh, availed themselves to you as you're working your way through what's been left? Yeah, you know, I'm still trying to figure out some of the, the key things that we need to do uh, differently as we move forward. But, you know, one of the biggest things that I see um is that we really need to draw in younger audience. And that can be really both on the side of contests, whether that's backyard or, or more, um, you know, grilling type um, competitor series types of things, um, while not alienating, obviously, the existing base of the Master Series. That's got to continue to stay strong. Uh, but, you know, when I look at the membership base and really dig into the numbers, mm-hmm. um you know, that's definitely something that I see is that we've got to focus more on younger audiences and getting them inspired. So, you know, I've got a lot of different thoughts and ideas in terms of how we can do that, but that's one of the biggest things that I see um, in terms of future growth. You know, obviously I know that there are all kinds of different issues that we've got to, we've got to solve, 
whether that's through, you know, updating training for judges, reps, et cetera. And those are definitely ongoing things that we will continue to do. Um, you know, we're going through our, our next election uh, nomination cycle right now. So that's exciting. Seeing some really great candidates um, as nominees. So that's also exciting. It's an interesting, you know, type of a type of a board in the sense that, you know, um, Today, we really don't have anything where you have to have a specific area of emphasis, you know, like some some boards where you might have to have an IT background or you might need somebody who's got a legal background or a marketing background. So, you know, that, that presents some interesting um, challenges but opportunities. And so, anyway, I, I say that because as I'm seeing the nominations come in, um, I'm really seeing some strength there and, and looking forward to what that holds for us. So... I, I really do believe that the future for KCBS is bright. And, you know, obviously we've got a, a Tony history and uh, a great brand that we've established over time. So it's exciting to put some energy into it to really help propel it into the future. Uh, one of the items that everybody looks forward to that's KCBS member, especially the cook teams, is that end of year KCBS banquet that typically takes place in January. How are those things yeah. coming together? They're coming together great. So let me just say that the banquet is January 17th and 18th, and this year it will be in Kansas City at uh, the Argosy Casino, which is also where it happened to be last year as well. So we've got a couple of great things. I would encourage listeners to go on to kcbs.us to register for the banquet. So also we're currently accepting nominations for both the Carolyn Wells Ambassador Award, which is really all about those who uh, display strong character and promote KCBS as an organization to the general public. Um, and then also the Gary Wells Sportsmanship Award. And that one is really more focused on those who display great sportsmanship at our events and contests and, and really have a spirit of fairness and generosity um, and observance of the rules. So those are some great awards that we would certainly encourage all KCBS members in good standing to nominate uh, for. And those nominations need to be in by December 1st. Uh, so again, there's still some time if, if uh, people want to nominate some of their, their friends and fellow members. So I would encourage them to do that. Um, the other thing that I'm really excited to share with you is our Team of the Year um, prize payout. So we've actually just announced that, um, and it went on to the website uh, either yesterday or today. It's up there. I've seen it, and it will go out in our next edition of the bull sheet that Karen Murphy has worked really hard on. So anyway, we are excited to share that our prize pool for the 2019 payouts is going to be uh, a little bit over $26,000, coming in at $26,425. So we're excited about that, and we wanted to be more transparent with the membership, let them know those amounts, and really the breakouts of of how all of that breaks down uh, prior to the banquet. So again, that is posted on kcbs.us, so I would encourage listeners to go out and look at that. Um, the other thing that's exciting for our Team of the Year payout in, uh, in 2019 is that we recognize, you know, that there are those cooks who maybe can't do the long haul like, uh, like Boomerang can, you know, and get that many contests to make it right. into the top, you know, position. Um, so we've decided that we are going to recognize some of the cook teams who um, are doing well 
in the smaller number of contest cooks this year. Mm -hmm. So we've actually dedicated a little over $1,000 um, and broken that out. Again, you can see all of the, the breakouts specifically on the website, but for, um, for cooks who've cooked less than 25 contests, less than 20, less than 15, less than 10, and even less than five. So the first place winners within those specific demarcations uh, will have a chance to win some prize money too. So we're really excited about that. And, you know, as we look forward to next year and beyond, obviously we will we will try to always increase our price payouts where we can. Um, but again, we wanted to provide as much transparency as possible to share those numbers um, as soon as they were approved. Uh, Emily, is there a 2020 backyard team of the year thing that's in development or something that's going to happen? Uh, great question. So not ready to announce anything yet, but I'm definitely in the process of really trying to understand um, feedback, thoughts. You know, again, this goes back to my earlier point about trying to draw in a younger audience. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we definitely recognize that uh, we do have strength in backyard and we're certainly seeing increases. Um, you know, contest numbers are coming in very strong for 2020 and backyard uh, is one of the areas of growth that we're seeing. So um, as, I'm, as you may or may not know, I'm a numbers person, so I've tried to dig in as much as I can. I've heard that, actually. And <laughs> um, some people like it, some people don't, but um, can't please everybody. But anyway, no, Backyard is one of the areas that uh, we definitely do see some great opportunities for the future. So I am working through what that could look like. We um, have actually tapped uh, some of our some of our backyard participants to help provide feedback via survey to help understand what they liked, what they didn't like, you know, what would encourage them to cook more backyard contests, things like that. So as I get uh, more of that data and I'm able to leverage it to make some good insights, um, we'll be making some recommendations in terms of what that looks like moving forward. And if we were to, to do a team of the year program, you know, how we could really establish one that makes the most sense and is the most fair because as you may or may not know, some of our backyard contests, you know, they all require chicken and ribs, but some also have other categories like pork or additional ancillaries. Mm. So again, we need to make sure that we're leveling the playing field if we're going to have a team of the year program. Um, so I'm working through some of the, the details on how to do that. All right. That sounds absolutely fantastic. CEO of KCBS, Emily Detweiler, joining me. Some important dates that were mentioned here this evening. September 16th through the 20th, that's 2020, is the American Royal. It's already set. And then the banquet for KCBS is January 17th and 18th in Kansas City at the Argosy Casino. Uh, I believe I have the right. KCBS.us for all other inquiries and information, correct? That's correct. All right. Uh, it is Emily Detweiler. appreciate you coming back on tonight, and uh, let's do it again sooner than later. That sounds fantastic. As always, thank you so much for having me, Greg. You got it. Thanks for coming on. There she is, the CEO of KCBS, Emily Detweiler. And yes, if you're just new, that is the same Emily Detweiler that was at Smithfield uh handful of months ago she transitioned over into leadership at the kcbs so uh nice to have a little more uh two-way street if you will with kcbs again um, we were dormant for a couple of years to say the least and now we're uh, starting to get back on track and uh, would always welcome conversations with any sanctioning bodies of course so 
Uh, by the way, uh, she was talking about nominations for board. If you are somebody that has taken a nomination or you're running for the board for next year and you would like to come on the show and give platform, just go ahead and shoot me an email, greg at com, and I'll make sure that I get you on and we'll give you forum to say your piece. You're welcome. Let me talk to you about Big Papa Smokers, my pal Sterling Ball, curated selection of only the best outdoor cooking supplies, get you on the path to better barbecue results in no time. Everything at Big Papa's has been pitmaster approved by Sterling himself, from award-winning rubs and sauces to American-made grills and smokers. They have everything you need to become a better outdoor cook. They have great rubs and spices, sweet money, regular money, cattle prod, cash cow, double secret steak rub. Sweet Louis season salt. The list goes on. I love them all. 13 perfectly balanced flavors, actually. They will transform ordinary meals into extraordinary. Whether you're cooking to impress the judges or grilling for your friends and family, Big Papa Smoker's seasonings just don't disappoint. You can also pair them with simply marvelous barbecue rubs, and now you have the West Coast offense. Don't forget, if you're looking for a new go-to barbecue sauce, if you're tired with whatever you're using, they also own and sell Granny's Barbecue Sauce. Go to BigPapaSmokers.com and try some today. Now, let's talk about cooking. Maybe you're looking for a versatile smoker that's easy to use. Check out the Mac 2-Star General Pellet Grill. Meathead uses one. Darren Worth uses one. Big Papa uses one. He's the exclusive Mac dealer, and they even offer special packages. If you're not a fan of pellet smokers, take a look at the Old Hickory Ace BP. It happens to be the only charcoal smoker that Big Papa trusts on his own competition trailer. Plenty to choose from on there. If you have a ugly drum and you're waiting to convert it, he has a conversion kit. A number of items. you got to go check it out. If you're not sure what grill you need, call him and ask. 877-828-0727. That's 877-828-0727. Or shop the website, BigPapaSmokers.com. That's B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A. Smokers.com. We are back with Derek Riches right after this. Stick around. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. Thanks again to Emily Detweiler for joining me last segment. This portion of the show being brought to you by Smithfield. Uh, This coming month in November, towards the end, the 24 teams will line up and compete cooking three different times, ultimately producing a group of final contenders that will go at it. Where are they going at it? New Orleans, of course. Check them out on the line at smokingwithsmithfield.com. That's S-M-O-K-I-N, smokingwithsmithfield.com for all further information. Helping me close it out tonight, the most trusted source in barbecue and grilling industry also happens to be a Barbecue Central Show guest hall of famer. What more can you ask for? You can check him out on his website, DerekRiches.com. Let's head to the website, or let's head to the hotline, and welcome back, Derek Riches. Hey, Derek. Hey, Greg. How you doing? Did you know that the Earth spins at 968 miles an hour? Uh-oh. I know. It you knew? You, dizzy. you knew that? I didn't know that. Something like that. Okay, not exactly, but right. well, um, something. 
and evidently something else is spinning, and and there's a top speed in tandem of close to seventeen hundred miles an hour. What do you think about this Popeye's chicken sandwich? You tell me. I mean, you're you're a. I've never uh, had one. Never. So you, you didn't. I, you didn't get caught up in the hype this summer. Well, you know, there didn't used to be a Popeye's by where I lived, and so the only time I ever ate Popeye's chicken is if I had a layover in in Atlanta Airport. Uh huh. So that became a tradition for me. And then they built one. It's like five mile, five minutes from my house, hmm. and I've never been there. Now it's too close, so you can't go. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the problem. Well, Sunday they re-release the Popeye's chicken sandwich, so put it in your phone so you can show okay. up on Sunday, and then we can compare notes next month when we get together. Um, yes. Let's talk a little bit about where you are doing work at. Uh, I mentioned DerekRiches.com. Are you on any other internet property at this point, or are you solely DerekRiches.com? Uh, solely there right now. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, if somebody wants to pay me, um, they can just contact me. Yeah. Contract. Go to the website. There's a form. Fill it out. There you go. We'll talk money. All right. But um, other than, you know, some stuff in the industry that I'm not really writing for anyone else. Got it. Um one of the things that we're talking about tonight, and I just seen it released into social media, was quite a little buildup that they had. It was the Master Built Gravity Series 560. This is a uh, charcoal gravity feed that doesn't have the name uh, Stumps or Superior on it. Um, so, what can you tell me about? It? Well, basically, what this is, it looks a lot like a pellet grill. It's got a large, tall body. It's yep. got three racks on the inside. Yep. It's got a side table with a controller in it. And then it has this charcoal column that runs down the side. Throw in some lighter cubes, dump in a bunch of charcoal, and then you set your temperature. And it's Wi-Fi enabled. So what you have is a charcoal grill that is just like a pellet grill. I mean, it has the same sort of functionality. It uh, you know, they have their own proprietary app. You've got four meat probes in there. Uh, it looks interesting. It runs about 500 bucks, But it's this idea of trying to make a charcoal grill that is as convenient as a pellet grill. Well, so it's, you know, there's that influence going on. I was going to say, I mean, that, that has to be the next follow-up question is, uh, for years, it would seem to be only one kind of pellet cooker, or there was a Traeger, then whatever Fast Eddie was making at the time. And then after yeah. the patent goes away, and then all of a sudden you see the onslaught of pellet cookers coming into the industry over the last handful of years. I mean, do you think even though the pellet industry, as far as attacking the market, is still a fairly minimal percentage uh, versus overall sales, do you think that they are having an influence on the way other manufacturers are making cookers to a certain degree? Well, I think that a lot of companies are looking at they're looking at that convenience factor. I mean, Masterbuilt makes pellet cookers. I mean, they've got some pellet smokers and some stuff like that. They're, it's not like they're not in that side of the business. But this notion that now we need to make our charcoal grills as you know convenient and Wi-Fi enabled, that's the thing about it. This, this unit has a, an, a fan that accelerates the combustion, so you can set it for 225 to 700 degrees. And that's the other thing is this charcoal is a much more powerful fuel, so you can get higher temperatures out of this. And this unit will take lump or briquette, so it doesn't matter what kind of charcoal you use. Um, do you have any idea how accurate the whole setting the temperature thing is? I, I, I'm i fairly versed at the pellet cookers and 
the majority of them are in range, depending yeah. on how you set them on the controller. But uh, for some reason, the Masterbuilt to me is like a good idea. But how is it actually performing under fire? Well, I mean, it's not shipping yet. So we won't you know, know. We really got to get in there and see what it's going to do. Right. I'm reaching out to them to try and get one get one in as soon as I can. But, you know, I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, a lot of a lot of pellet cookers, it's like, oh, you know, it looks like it's a very precise instrument. And then you realize it's got a 40 degree temperature variance depending upon which way the wind's blowing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's an illusion of precision more than there's actual precision. But, you know, we like the technology. We like the apps. Well, that, that's the question that I want to ask you that I didn't even think I wanted to ask you. Do we really want the apps yeah. or do we want them on there so we don't use them? But look, you know, it's become a selling point. The you know, how usable your app is and how how advanced your technology is. But if you poll uh fifty I people don't. if you poll fifty people that have a cooker with Wi Fi enabled whatever and an app that goes along with it, do you think that 40% of them are actually using all of that stuff or is it more or less oh, than that? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a lot less than that. Wow. Um, but it's the selling point. So manufacturers that's, that's feel important. weight that they have to include this otherwise perhaps they won't even be considered in a purchase? I, I think that's a big component to it. I mean, we we live in the age of, you know, of incredibly powerful and advanced little computer devices that we carry in our pockets. And if you can't figure out a way to plug into that, how do you, how are you going to get millennials to buy something? I don't know. I mean, they don't seem to be interested in competing in barbecue or, or anything else. I mean, we're, if you're 40 or older, I mean, we're, we're probably the young guys right now, Derek, in the industry. I'll take that. Yeah. I'll take that. It's crazy. Um, yeah, yeah I, I've often struggled, uh, I, and I've had some fairly high-level talks with top men in the pellet grill industry, no names, please, and I've said, just leave that shit off. It, it, it appears that there is a demand for it, but when you actually put it in your house, I don't think people are giving it a second thought. Maybe the internal meat probe, but God, I mean, I just don't see where people are digging for their phone every five seconds. And I'm sure there's some percentage of folks that are going to sit there and just hover with the phone right in front of their face. They're the same tools that were with the Maverick ET73 looking at the receiver when it was kicking back temperatures. And if it would go up, they'd race right out to the Weber Smoky Mountain and make damper adjustments. I mean, you're going to have those people. But I think by and large, I think I've said, please, you know, just leave it off and see. And and they felt compelled that they had to put it on just so they could still be considered an option. And I think that's unfortunate because you could be driving some costs down. Maybe not a lot, but you could be driving some costs down. Well, you could also be putting your research and development into making a better cooker than making a better app. Right. But right. it's kind of the world we live in, and it's, you know, it's being driven by a couple of companies who have big R&D budgets. Um, we diverged off of the master built there for a second, but do you know when this might be shipping out to consumers? They're a little vague on that, and I'm wondering how the supply chain is going, but mm. I think we're looking early next year, really. Might be available in some locations before the end of the year, but I think it's largely, you know, they're hyping it like crazy, but yeah. it it's, could still be a couple months away. Are you bullish on this? 
Um, just from a I'm high interested. level. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested from the standpoint of kind of what it represents, but, um, you know, I'd say four out of five times I fire up a charcoal grill, it's either my Weber kettle or it, it's a Kamado. It's my big green egg, mm. you know? I mean, that's, and I don't actually have any blowers or any of that sort of stuff on there. I have never found a need for it. Yeah, because you learned your cooker. Yeah. Oh, boy, I'm and, getting into my you know, old man rant. Well, yeah, and I agree with you completely. I, I, I sound a lot of times when I'm complaining about this, I'm into like you kids, but you know, maybe maybe what we're doing is is shortening the learning curve if we can just kind of get off the crutch of an app that mm-hmm. tells you you've got barbecue. Right. Uh, Derek Rich is joining me here on the show, DerekRiches.com, his website, if you want to check out what he's writing about here recently. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that Weber pellet grill that we uh, talked about last month. Uh, any updates that you've heard or like release or anything like that? Um, what I'm getting right now is a formal announcement will be in the first half of November, and I've talked to some retailers who expect to have it on the floor in January. Oh, wow. So... And, you know, as far as technology goes, this one will, if you buy the additional accessory, the $125 accessory that goes with it, it'll talk to your Alexa. Oh, really? Yeah. So you can so, say, Alexa, do Alexa something with my weapon. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's nice. exactly it. All right. 125 bucks. I mean, that seems like it's not too expensive, I guess. Well, on top of the 1000 or $1,200 you're paying for the mm-hmm. unit. All right. Uh, do we have that as kind of a confirmed price point-ish? Yeah. Yeah. All right. That is the price we have confirmed now. Uh, So there's been a couple different lawsuits that have been uh, thrown around here. Both actually involved one of the same company, that being Traeger Grills. Uh, Traeger was suing Danson's, uh, of course, because there was a lot of uh, likeness and there was some name stuff. Do you have any idea where this is sitting at? Currently, the last I heard, it was, you know, there was a lot of uh, dance and saying we vehemently deny everything. And Traeger was like, yeah. yeah, deny all you want, but, you know, we've paid you nine million bucks and you're doing a lot of weird stuff. Uh, yeah. And, and that's kind of where it sits. Um, the lawsuit is taking place in both Florida and Arizona. I'm assuming it's Danson's must have some, must be incorporated in Florida or something like that. On October 2nd, the judge in Florida rejected Traeger's injunction on the stop to stop using the name mm. on the grounds that Traeger had not presented proof of their purchase of the name. They didn't say Danson's was free and clear to use it. They didn't. They just said Traeger hadn't proven that they owned it. Mm. Danson's issued a press release the next morning declaring absolute vindication that they had won. <laughs> The next day, the Arizona judge upheld Traeger's injunction and has now stopped Danson from using the name Traeger or any associated imagery or anything of the sort. No so, barn, no nothing. Right, none of that. And right now, the the you know this uh, the this line from Danson seems to have kind of once again fallen into we don't know when it's going to be available because we don't know how we're going to market it. Mm. But Danson's is saying that they're they're going to win and they're not. They're so going to lose. Do you think that they're going to end up settling and somebody's going to be yeah. paying somebody a fee or something? Yeah, and I don't know that that Traeger is interested in the money. So if Danson's wants to try and get them to say, hey, 
we'll pay you X amount of money and we'll still use Joe Traeger uh-huh. as kind of our guy. I can't see Traeger coming back and going, yeah, we need your money. <laughs> that's, the, uh, that, that's the last thing that they probably need. Yeah. yeah I mean, pretty, well, Traeger rich. is exceptionally good at burning through every dime they get their hands on. Yeah. But I don't think they need money at this point. Now, the other thing that they're involved in, and, uh, you know, we always seem to be talking about fuel in some form or fashion when it, uh, it's really the good stuff. Traeger is under a class action lawsuit in uh, very uh, quick terms for not using, well, the, the, the suit is that they're not using what they're saying they're using on their pellet packaging. For instance, uh, apple, yeah. apple pellets or cherry pellets. It's actually oak and alder, and they've been soaked in an apple oil or in uh, cherry oil or what have you in order to give it its flavor. And now there's this whole lawsuit that's going on. I found it particularly entertaining that there were two people on some internet show that had really no idea about barbecue, uh, kind of saying the trainer yeah. was like racing to the game, uh, you know, as the Johnny come lately, and they had no idea who they were. But, I mean, let's talk about the bottom line here. I mean, is this a, a valid lawsuit? Is this the propane people trolling uh, to try and gain back some market here? I mean, what's the deal? I, I I don't think that this has been driven by the propane industry. Um, grills are the, the fuel we use in our grills is a tiny portion of the propane that's used in the country. But I haven't actually been able to kind of really track down where this is necessarily coming from. Mm. It's filed by a couple of internet lawyers by a guy in Livermore, California, who appears to work for the Livermore National Laboratory there. Uh the the lawsuit itself is almost written a little bit tongue in cheek. It's almost kind of, I mean, you know, as far as lawyers go, it's almost a bit funny in places. It's it's like I I don't know how serious this is. It's cert- I don't think it's in any way legally damaging to Traeger because Traeger yeah you, you get this bag of Traeger pellets and it says hickory in big words and then it says one hundred percent hardwood. And then it doesn't say that it's hickory wood. It just says it's hardwood. And on their website, uh, you know, they talk about they make their own pellets and they, they're in control of their sourcing and that they use canola oil as a lubricant in mm-hmm. the pellet making process that no one else seems to need the lubricant for. And that sometimes this lubricant, this canola oil, all natural product may contain all natural colors or flavorings. So they're not, I mean, they're not coming right out and saying it, but they're not, they're not also, they're not saying that their hickory is hickory. Right. They're not putting it right on the packages that, uh, you know, this is hickory flavored oil on on your hardwood pellet. Yeah. The, the the lawsuit itself is very specific in some areas. It's like th- there is no hickory used. There is no mesquite used whatsoever by Traeger. The apple is maybe 30% apple. Mm-hmm. You know, those – they have very specific kind of measurements. So they got that from somewhere. Um, it, it's not the sort of thing you can actually just look up. They had to find it, that information from someone. Uh, I'm not entirely certain – who at this point but um it's it's really a bad pr thing 
for Traeger mm. to be sitting there. All of their marketing is about real wood flavor and, you know, you, you throw out your gas grill because you don't want propane flavor. You want real wood flavor. Tastes like gas. Yeah, it does taste like it tastes like, you know, and you got to watch it because, you know, California propane has a really kind of acidic you get kind of more Midwest propane. Yes. You know, it's there's less, but, you less know, of an ass taste. Yeah. So they do all this marketing trying to say that they've got, you know, it's all about the flavor. It's all about the wood. And then it's like, well, yeah, but all of our wood is basically the same wood. It's just flavored differently and put in different colored bags. Mm -hmm. And then, we, you know, and then you get into their blends, which is kind of crazy because we blend all of these things together, but we don't use any of those things. We just add the flavor to it. But let's be honest, Traeger's not the only one. Well, I mean, that was my next question. Is is this a common practice? And uh, perhaps more importantly, is there any way that this particular lawsuit gets any traction to where you'll see some kind of an industry standard packaging requirement or a federally mandated, if you are going to do this, this needs to be called out on the packaging so the consumer is made aware of what they're actually buying or does the consumer not even give an f i get well I, you know honestly i think a lot of people don't care yeah you know I, I, and they don't know and they won't notice and it's like i mean I, you know i've cooked for people before and you know and tried to actually point out that there's a smoke flavor what it is that there's actually a distinct difference between apple or hickory or oak or that sort of stuff and a lot of people just don't get it yeah but um, I would love to actually see this case go somewhere. I don't. I don't see it will. Traeger's, Traeger's put in a. Uh, they, they put in a continuance. They want to hold off till they can get a response, and I think the response is going to be summary dismissal, and they're going to come back and say we never said that our hickory was hickory. We never said our mesquite was mesquite. It's not on any of our, our, our documentation. Right. So this is a bogus lawsuit. And they might get it dismissed on that. An industry standard would be great, but we don't eat wood pellets. So there isn't a government agency that cares a whole lot yeah. about what actually goes in them. Mm -hmm. But I was looking. Um, I found the product description on a German website for Weber's forthcoming wood pellets. Mm. And they have... Hickory, and it says, Hickory, 100% hardwood, hickory-flavored hardwood um, wood pellets. Hmm. Hickory flavor. So, yeah, they're same, same thing. literally saying yep. it's flavored. Right. And, you know, uh, unless somebody comes out and says it's a you know that it is a hundred percent of this specific wood and they're willing to back that up don't you just can't trust it yep. I mean if it says 100 percent hardwood and hardwood has no no there's no definition here for hardwood there's no legal definition you can use any wood you want doesn't really matter because you can't get in trouble for using alder versus oak or using balsa wood versus hickory whatever it doesn't matter so I'd love to see it actually go somewhere and 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 have a court come down and say, well, you know what? You're actually going to have to label this stuff yeah. because it's consumable. Yeah. People are buying it with the assumption that it is what it is. Right. But I don't see it happening. All right. Well, if uh, there's going to be breaking news, we know where to go. DerekRiches.com, who will report all that is going on in the live fire barbecue and grilling industry. Should we uh, 
leave with the major announcement that we have for 2020, Derek? Uh, certainly. Be my guest. A Barbecue Central Show exclusive news update. As always, breaking news right here on the Barbecue Central Show. From the breaking news desk here in Cleveland, Ohio, Derek Riches and I will be doing a monthly visit starting in 2020, fourth Tuesday of the month. So you will be leading into uh, what will be the second hour of the Embedded Correspondence. So it'll be a news-filled fourth week of the month. So I appreciate you coming back on. Certainly. Glad to do it. All right. Well, uh, we will uh, try and chart up again next month. uh, But uh, notwithstanding that, 2020 will be a year where Derek Riches and the Barbecue Central Show rejoin forces and burn down the live fire barbecue and grilling world. Derek, always appreciate the time, my friend. Yeah, thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me on. There he is. Derek Riches. And yes, you heard it here first. He will be on this show. Did I stop all that? I'm just waiting to figure out how I... I don't understand. My my software automation stuff completely messed up and it's not going anywhere. This is Dino no. Dan. There's Dino Dan. Cypress, California. Dino Dan, And right. you're watching the Barbecue Central Show. All right. All right, so that was Derek Riches. I think we both agree that we would love to see labeling on pellets. I think we both agree also that that's probably not going to happen. As long as it's not heating pellets... Technically, I guess I don't even care, but it's got to be food-grade pellets. I don't want heating pellets being strewn into my hickory-flavored or my apple-flavored pellets. And by the way, if you're a pellet manufacturer that is making flavored pellets with oil, and that's what you think is the right thing to do, get on top of the roof and yell it out. This is how we think it should be done! We will do it this way from now on! Do that. I want to hear that. Don't be shady about it. That makes me feel uncomfortable. But if you're out there screaming it from the rooftops, I feel better about that for some reason. All right, DerekRiches.com. That's DerekRiches.com. And in 2020, he is at the 935 segment, fourth Tuesday of the month. We're back to wrap right after this. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs, injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you found the best triple X show ever. Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today, Craig Rimpy. All right, welcome back. As we get ready to wrap up another show here all the way back in the first hour, we talked with Travis Clark pitmaster of Clark Crew Barbecue. He just won the 2019 Jack Daniels, by the way. He was a five-time in-a-row auto qualifier. Huge feat. As he said, he actually finds more pride in that accomplishment than actually winning the Jack. No disrespect to the Jack. Peace and love. Peace and love. Then... First timer of the show and a man who is personally taking Popeye's chicken to court over the chicken sando incident of 2019 earlier this summer. Craig Barr showed up. 
And you're going to have to go back and listen to that if you missed it. In the second hour, we talked with Emily Detweiler, CEO of KCBS, the website there, kcbs.us. September 16th through the 20th in 2020, that's your American Royal confirmed dates. Also, January 17th and 18th of 2020, KCBS Banquet will be held in Kansas City at the Argosy Casino, so book it up. Again, kcbs.us. We close it out with DerekBridges.com. Talked about the new Master Built Gravity Series 560. Talked about the Traeger lawsuit against Danson and where that's sitting. Uh, Derek believes Danson is going to lose and lose, lose. And we also talked about Traeger getting a class action suit filed against them for not being necessarily upfront about what they're using in their pellets, let's say. Oil, not oil, is it, is it not? You tell me. He's going to be on the fourth Tuesday of every month in the 935 segment going forward in 2020. Derek Riches, DerekRiches.com. Big show planned for you next week. Malcolm Reed will be back in. We might see a Sam the Cooking Guy appearance. And who knows what else after that. September 11, 2001. I will never forget until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. This is your program hosted proud U.S. American Greg Reppy. Good night now. <laughs>